This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm just being honest, man. It's, I'm sick of losing. I'm sick. It's, it's point blank, period. I'm sick of losing. It pisses me off every time. I mean, it is what it is, man. I don't. This is just not. I'm not a loser. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. A little extra bonus Saturday solo podcast today. Uh, we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about, the end days here of the Todd Bowles-Mike McCagnin pairing. It, Regardless of what happens in tomorrow's game against Buffalo, regardless of what happens in the final three weeks, Todd Bowles is going to be fired as a New York Jets head coach. As it stands now, it seems more likely than not that Mike McCagnin will be back as the general manager, despite... Uh, our website and plenty of other people who follow the team disagreeing with that. So I'm going to spend the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes of this podcast talking about Bulls' tenure here, what went wrong, why it did not work out, and what some prospective next steps could be for the Jets at head coach. I'm then going to wrap the last 10 or 15 minutes, continuing to add on to my Endless case of why Mike McCagnin should also be fired along with Todd Bowles and not be allowed to have a say in picking the next head coach. Before I dive into either of those, want to remind you guys to check out statementgames.com and sign up for Sunday's Jets vs. Bills contest. Uh, we got myself and a few other the guys from TOJ in there. All you can do is go in, sign up for free, go into the lobby, click on Jets vs. Bills, and there'll be a handful of statements about things that will happen in Sunday's game listed out. So something like Jermaine Curse will have under 75 yards receiving. Of course he will. Uh, Josh Allen will have at least one turnover. I think that's a fair assumption that he will. And what you're going to do is you're going to pick 10 statements like that and rank them in order of likelihood. And whoever gets the highest amount of points uh, will win a free prize from statement games, uh, a T-shirt, some other type of gear that they have. Uh, so sign up for free. Get in now uh, before they get going with all their bigger contests on the playoffs. So we'll have four more here with Jets games to get signed up for. So that's statementgames.com and then sign up for the Jets versus Bills matchup. All right. Todd Bowles was hired to replace Rex Ryan. And the Jets have done this thing with their head coaches really this millennium where they sort of ping pong back and forth between boisterous player coaches and more quiet, introverted, alleged disciplinarians. So you had Herm Edwards followed out. Al Groh one year uh, was, you know, Parcell's disciple, quiet, uh, wasn't necessarily great with the media, uh, considered more of a disciplinarian. Came from the defensive side of the football, a reoccurring theme as well. The Jets then go with Herm Edwards, also defensive side of the football, big personality, Great with the media, you know. You play to win the game. His famous rant, players' coach, uh, had some success here. Actually, had kind of a comparable level of success to Rex Ryan, despite him not being quite remembered as such. Uh, after her Edwards, the Jets will get Eric Mangini, who basically tried to replicate Bill Belichick's personality, uh, but did not have the success uh, to cap- pull that off, basically, and did not make enough inroads with the local media and probably was not dealt a fair hand and should have been given a little more rope than he was. But after three years, was let go. Then you get Rex Ryan, who, you know, one of a kind with his personality, had two impressive years, and then everything fell apart around him. 
really should have been fired after the 2012 season, but his tenure was dragged out two more years after that. Jets moved to Todd Bowles, more quiet guy, more reserved with the media, another Parcells disciple, another defensive guy, uh, supposed to really not be the right balance between being a player's coach, because he was a former player himself, but also being more of a disciplinarian. So Bowles comes in year one, just like this always tends to happen with new regimes, it feels like, gets pretty positive reviews for the most part. The Jets go to 10-6. and six. Obviously, they were given an infusion of short-term veteran talent. I thought Bowles did a good job handling the whole Geno Smith-Jawgate situation, considering it was among his first uh, weeks on a job as it got close to the regular season. The Jets also you know, made a couple other in-season moves. I believe they released Quentin Coppels in the middle of the year, who was you know, ineffective for them. Uh, he had some some moments where it seemed like he had a good grasp on the locker room. The Jets had an ugly losing streak in the middle of the year, but for the most part, seemed to be prepared most weeks. They beat teams they were supposed to down the stretch after dropping to five and five. And you know that five game winning streak that Bowles and McCagden had has really given them a job. The Jets basically beat. Four really bad teams and the Patriots resting starters. And that five-game winning streak uh, has been surrounded by nothing but terrible football, well under 500 football. But that five-game winning streak has been enough because they went 10-6 and six in year one. And, of course, they went 10-6 and six in year one because they blew a very winnable game in Buffalo in week 17. Did not show up prepared to play. Uh, Darrell Rivas beat up and down the field by Sammy Watkins. They had suspicious running back usage of Stephen Ridley and Chris Ivory, and, you know, basically Fitzpatrick's clock struck midnight, and that was it. Concerns after Bowles in year one were, were still around game management. Still wasn't, you know, great with the media. Uh, the Jets, you know, go into the following year, they go with the window sort of approach by running it back with Fitzpatrick, uh, adding on other veterans like Matt Forte, expectations are that it's going to be a playoff team. Everything basically falls apart because Fitzpatrick, as we all know, can't sustain that level of play. What was concerning at that point for Bulls is that the game management didn't take any strides. He appeared to be very stubborn with the quarterback situation. Basically, he should have moved on with Fitzpatrick earlier than he should have. Bulls has gotten a reputation for being someone who doesn't like to play young players, rookies. That's really not borne out if you look at the Jets' rookie classes every single year. They've had a lot of rookies and young players play a lot of reps, but he was particularly stubborn with Fitzpatrick that year, and that has kind of given him this reputation as someone who always wants to play the older guy. And the Jets had you know, some concerning things throughout the year with Sheldon Richardson at linebacker and some other sort of head-scratching you know, usage. After the season, Chan Gailey moves on from an offensive coordinator. The Jets go higher. John Morgan, who's basically a complete no-name. You know, Morgan, I would say, was better than expected in 2017. Uh, and the 2017 season, it's so funny watching certain people who are still very strongly advocating for the GM, putting 100% of the blame on Todd Bowles when... A lot of them were the same people saying Todd Bowles deserved to be coach of the year last year when the Jets were three and two. Now, ever even mentioning Todd Bowles potentially being coach of the year last year was incredibly stupid. It made no sense. I, I think there was a couple of people who joked around about the Jets being 0-16 and then everyone threw a party because they were 5-11. and I think 
They probably should have won three or four games last year. They ended up winning five games. Five and eleven is five and eleven. They were bad either way. You know, Bowles was not dealt a great hand, but game management still not good. And you know, they would go out and win some games that, on paper, you wouldn't expect them to. Jacksonville, Buffalo, Kansas City, and then they'd come back the following week, particularly after those late season Buffalo and Kansas City wins, and just get wiped by teams who were not good that year. Tampa Bay playing a backup quarterback, Denver. Uh, and those losses were games that if they win, you know, they're hovering around 500. I think going 7-9 and nine in 2017 probably wouldn't have been particularly impressive with that roster. 5-11 and 11 is like nothing special. This year, you know, generally sort of considered a make-or-break year for Bowles, but not, not for McCagnan for some reason. And the Jets, you know, after a very exciting start against the Lions where they defensively dominated, forced a ton of turnovers... Uh, some good early season showings against the Colts in Denver have just really fell off the deep end. So Bowles moved on from John Morton, replaced him with Jeremy Bates. Allegedly there was issues between Bowles and Morton, although considering how that was leaked, you got to question how accurate that was. Bates has been, after an inconsistent start, has basically devolved into being a complete train wreck and offensive coordinator. Uh, completely in over his head, and there's probably a reason he had not been an offensive coordinator for a long time prior to this. Casey Rogers and his defense remain inconsistent. Their stats inflate how good this defense has been this year. Every time the Jets' defense is in a big spot, they fold. They folded against the Titans. They folded against the Bears and Vikings when the game got a little close. They are not good when it matters the most, so it doesn't matter where they're ranked in total defense or where they're ranked in DVOA, which would have you indicate they're more of a middle-of-the-pack unit. They don't make big plays when they need to. They don't make big stops when they need to. And I think for Bulls, he's just remained ridiculously conservative with his game management. He is coaching like it is still the early 90s or late 80s while the league is moving to a much more up-tempo, wide-open style of play every year. Jets have a slow-paced offense. They punt inside the 50-yard line. They take no risks. They play extremely conservative. Uh, They're just not with the times, and they don't seem on the cutting edge of how they're game planning, how they're strategizing their in-game decisions. Uh, They just seem completely overmatched from a coaching standpoint. And it's, you know, being a coach is not just about the game management. It's about how you build your staff around you. And you look at how they've had the revolving door at offensive coordinator, how Casey Rogers is not getting another defensive coordinator job anywhere after he's fired from this job. And then it's also how you manage the media. And Bowles, you cannot act towards the media the way Bowles does when you don't win. You want to be secretive and pull the whole Belichick act. You need to win football games to earn that credibility. And Bowles just makes himself look bad by doing things like saying, you know, Say, not saying that Sam Darnold is starting when he's clearly starting this week. Why Why even do that to yourself? There's no gamesmanship here. You make yourself look ridiculous, and you feed into all the criticism that you're rightfully getting. And he's just never handled the media well publicly and also behind the scenes. He's been outmaneuvered by Mike McCagney, who has the entire local media infrastructure in the palm of his hand and has all the attention being put on Bowles and none of the attention being put on him. There's nobody happier that Todd Bowles is not getting fired midseason than Mike McCagnin. Because the second Todd Bowles is gone, that magnifying glass goes right to McCagnin. And wait a minute, 
you know, this guy has been four years. He's the other half of the equation. And it's very similar to the situation in 2014, as we've written about and as we've discussed, where you had an incompetent head coach, an incompetent general manager. But the head coach was good with the media. The head coach had connections with the media. The general manager, incompetent with the media, had no useful connections really with the media. And all of the energy was put on just firing the general manager around the discussion. Now, the head coach ultimately ended up going after skating by in 2012 uh, with a similar approach. Uh, Couldn't pull it off again in 2014, but it's a similar thing this year where you know, 80 to 90% of the discussion is around bowls. And I want to be clear, like, I put a lot of time and energy into criticizing, you know, Mike McCagnan when I'm talking about the Jets, because in my mind, it's an under-discussed element of the team, particularly from the local and from the national media. That does not mean I think Todd Bowles is good at his job, or that Todd Bowles is not without blame, or that Todd Bowles should not be fired. Todd Bowles should be fired. He has not done a good job for the overwhelming majority of his time here. I'd give him about a D-plus probably. The Jets can do better at head coach. They need to try to do better at head coach. So Bowles, in my mind, is a goner. He's been a goner since they lost that Miami game. So the book is closed in that discussion, in my mind. So I don't, I don't know if we need to harp on it or beat the dead horse. He's getting fired. The Jets could find a way to win two or three more games this year. It's done. They're going to clean house. Bowles will be gone. Bates will be gone. Casey Rogers will be gone. Maybe they hang on to some parts of the special team staff because the special teams has been so good this year. But that's basically it. It's going to be a house clean on that front. So, you know, Bowles, you know, he's going to finish here with a, a really ugly record. Right now it's 23-37. and 37. You know, let's say they win one more game. You're looking at 24-40. and 40. Uh, no playoff appearances, no division titles, three straight years where the team is out of it by Thanksgiving. It's going to be hard for him to get another head coaching job anywhere. I don't doubt that he'll become a defensive coordinator somewhere else. He's a great example, and we got to keep this in mind when we're looking at the Jets' head coach church this time around. Someone who's a good coordinator, but not a good head coach, and they're two completely different jobs. Game planning for one side of the football and calling plays for one side of the football is completely different than being a head coach and running an entire staff and running game management and handling the media and being involved in personnel decisions. Bowles is a good coordinator. He cannot be a good head coach, or he's shown that to date he can't be a good head coach. So my guess is that he ends up on one of these new staffs as a defensive coordinator. I don't know if it's Cleveland. I don't know if it's Green Bay. I don't know if it's Tampa Bay. He'll find his way into being a defensive coordinator again. Uh, I doubt he finds his way into being a head coach again. Shifting over to the general manager. So, uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know, Manish Mehta at the Daily News wrote a very long article on the relationship between Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan. And the article basically reads like a reason to fire Mike McCagnan because it goes through how bad his resume is, but ends with basically saying that McCagnan should be retained and be given the right to hire another coach and be given two years with him, and if it doesn't work out then, then you move on. So this doesn't make any sense. We saw this doesn't work after 2012, right? The Jets insisted on only firing Mike Tannenbaum and keeping Rex Ryan. And the reality of having a coach who had been bad the prior two years, already had built-in support within the organization and the media, made the Jets not appealing to general managers. They had to go down to their fourth or fifth choice. They couldn't land Tom Gamble. They couldn't land the interviews that they wanted to do that time around and had to settle 
on John Idzik after a long-winded search because the top-tier candidates, they don't want to be forced to work with Rex Ryan. They wanted to be able to pick their own head coach and have a normal sort of structure or have say in who the head coach was. So doing that hurt their search, forced them to get a GM who was not that good and had to be fired after two years. So why the Jets would not learn from that mistake and do another half measure is beyond me. Because keeping your general manager is going to negatively impact your head coaching search. The Jets already have an uphill battle hiring coaches against Green Bay, who has Aaron Rodgers, and Cleveland, who has Baker Mayfield, who's been better than Sam Darnold this year. They have plenty of cap space, and they have more talent spread throughout their roster than the Jets do. Uh, That's going to be hard enough. Now, Tampa Bay, you got to see how that situation shakes out. It doesn't seem like Dallas is going to move on from their head coach. Maybe there's one or two more surprise openings, but it's going to be an uphill battle for the Jets uh, in going against at least Green Bay and Cleveland. And the reason why is, is that if you're a prime head coaching candidate, why do you want to potentially have to answer to or be equal co-partners with a general manager who's 23 and 37 through 60 games and has no playoff appearances and is going to be on a shorter leash and a different time frame than you? And also, clearly has a built-in media infrastructure around him that is going to protect him. The failures in 2015 and 2016 were often peddled off on Woody Johnson, forcing Mike McCadden to spend. The failures of 2017 and 2018 are being peddled off on Todd Bowles, as we can see pretty consistently now through the media. So if you're looking at that, and you're a head coach, you're setting yourself up for the narrative that If things don't go well in 2019, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing the leaks. Uh, The problem is the new coach. The problem is the new system. The front office needs another year or two to acclimate to a new coach and a new system because you know they're starting fresh, right? It's a whole new coach. It's a whole new system. You can't expect them to win right away. And then all of a sudden we're in year five and year six of this front office having no playoff appearances, which is almost unheard of with how much parity there is in the NFL. You then get yourself to a spot where after a year or two, you're then making full house cleaning changes. You're firing everybody. You're bringing in two people together. You come in together. You leave together in this situation. It's very rare where it does not work out that way unless you're going to go find yourself the next Sean McVay, which could have very well been a generational hire for the Rams. You can't bank on that happening. You're potentially hurting your head coaching search by saying that McCagnan has the right to stay. And by all metrics, McCagnan has been very bad at his job. It doesn't really matter if he's been worse than Bowles, worse than Idzik, a little better than both. It doesn't matter. Bad is bad. If you're bad at your job, you do not deserve a promotion to get to hire the next person you report to. It's not exactly like the Houston Texans have been hurting since McCagnan has left. Actually, they probably got substantially better. So if someone takes a step back and looks at that track record and looks at what he's done with the Jets, why are they going to say, I want to be forced to be paired with a GM who, as is clearly articulated here in this Daily News article, forced the coaching staff on an island to draft Christian Hackenberg. Forced the coaching staff or overruled the coaching staff on trading up for Alvin Kamara, who's been one of the three best, four best offensive players in the NFL over the past two years. Hackenberg has been... Maybe the worst pick in the first two rounds in the past five, ten years. Never played a snap in the NFL. Outside of that, 
let's look at the draft record. Let's just look at it statistically. So from overthecap.com, his record in four drafts versus the rest of the NFL, for everyone who tweets at me and says, you could do this with any GM, you could say this about any GM, only 64% of his players drafted from 2015 to 2018 are still on active NFL rosters. That's 31st out of 32 teams. That's as bad as it gets. The league average is 76%, so they're 12 percentage points off. Round-by-round round breakdown for how they've struggled in rounds two through five, and we'll have a separate discussion about round one at the end. 33% of the Jets' second-rounders are on an NFL roster. League average is 92%, not even close. 50% of the third-rounders are on an active roster. League average, 84%. 50% of fourth-rounders on any active roster. League average, 82%. So over 30 percentage points off on third and fifth-rounders. I'm sorry, third and fourth rounders. Fifth rounders, they have 50% of their fifth rounders as well. League average is 75%, off by 25% there. They mildly exceed league averages with sixth and seventh rounders, but they never use seventh rounders. The Jets haven't drafted a seventh rounder in the past two years. The last seventh rounder they drafted was a punter, I believe, and he's an okay punter, but he's a punter. First round, Leonard Williams, for the sixth overall pick, has been a disappointment. He's a good starter. He's not an all-pro, not a game-changing talent. Probably doesn't deserve a monster contract extension. Actually, I would say he definitely doesn't. They didn't get a game-changer with a sixth overall pick in the draft. Darren Lee, year three, playing better. A useful starter and inside linebacker. Not a complete game-changer like who the Cowboys drafted this year. Uh, or like Darius Leonard, who's in the discussion for defensive rookie of the year. Uh, a good player. Not someone who's ever been a pro bowler, not somebody who's ever been an all-pro, not someone who we're sure is ever going to get that consideration. Then you move to Jamal Adams. Can't call Jamal Adams a brilliant pick. You can say Jamal Adams is a great football player. He's probably going to be a pro bowler this year, should be a pro bowler this year. You can say that Jamal Adams is a great football player and that picking him was not smart. These two things can exist at the same time. It's pretty simple. The Jets should have drafted Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, both of whom have been outstanding this year and seem to be on a collision course to meeting in the AFC Championship game in each of their first four years as a starting quarterback. You take the quarterback, and the reason is when you do that, you don't have to trade three picks the following year to get Sam Darnold and gut your draft capital. We don't even know if Darnold's ever going to be as good as Watson and Mahomes. And I like the Darnold pick. I haven't been shy about it. I do think he will be a good player here long term. But from a draft capital and a logic standpoint, you take the quarterback when it's staring you in the face when you have Christian Hackenberg, Bryce Petty, and Josh McCown on your roster. And candidly, you don't double down on taking safeties. No one this millennium has taken two safeties with their first two picks. Marcus May is a nice player too. I think he's a good football player and could be a good starter next to Jamal Adams. He's been hurt a ton. He was an old rookie, drafted as a 24-year-old. His last two seasons ended with surgery. I don't know. Is this the best way to go about team building? Probably not. You know, McCagnan has the worst winning percentage of any general manager in New York Jets history who's been hired for more than two years. So he is the worst in franchise history who has been given this much room. His drafting percentage, for all the numbers I just read, are awful. 31st out of 32nd. I have no idea why that merits him being able to keep his job, being able to really get a promotion by hiring the next head coach. It's been 
odd, to say the least, to see how hands-off the local and national media have been with him. And look, this is how this industry works. I'm not knocking any of these guys. And it's not just the local beat. It's the national media, too. McKagan's got... He's in the network. He's in the, he's got the reputation that in league circles, he's very highly regarded and very smart. And when you see that, it's a potential red flag because Jeremy Bates was very highly regarded in league circles as well, and he sucks at his job. Mike McCagden, very well regarded in league circles, really hard to find any national guy who criticize him. He's sucked at his job so far. And, you know, the beat is kind of like tiptoed around it, but... I, I don't know what the hesitancy on the criticism is because the numbers and the data don't lie and the output doesn't lie. So you fully clean house. You fire Todd Bowles, you fire Mike McCagnan, you go from there. Is it likely to happen? Probably not. I think they'll probably retain McCagnan. Have to settle for a second or third tier head coach and probably have to reset again after two years unless they have an absolutely terrific offseason, and Darnold makes a major leap next year. And it's going to be tough competition this offseason for the kind of guys they want to get, Le'Veon Bell being the top of that list. You know, a successful offseason isn't going to go be paying Dante Fowler and his four sacks this year $75 million and then missing out on Le'Veon Bell and playing, paying someone like Mark Ingram, who's two years older and has a lot more miles on him, you know, $50 million, or not $50 million, whatever it ends up being for a running back. So... It's a huge offseason for the Jets, and at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, based on his track record, do you, try some, do you trust Mike McCagnin with $100 million in cap space, a top-five pick, and say in the next head coach? Just based on his job to date. If the answer is no, then you move on. If the answer is yes, give him an extension. That way there's no doubt he's going to be here for a long time. I think the answer is pretty clear. All right, thank you everybody for listening. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on Google Play. Hit us with those ratings and reviews. I'll be back on Thursday to talk Jets, Texans, and review what happens in Jets' bills. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Jay Caparoso. Thank you for listening.